It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Engage in Truth broadcast. This is Steve Ford, your co-host, along with Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Well, today we are continuing our discussion concerning what the Bible tells us regarding godly leadership. We've been basing this discussion on Psalm 128, I should say, and I'd like to read that again today. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Pastor John? Oh, amen. Well, you can, can you imagine these men making the trek up to Jerusalem, singing a song like this? And as I've mentioned in the prior broadcast, this is something for everybody. This is not just for the men. However, in context, it was for the men. It was a song of ascents. And they would go up to Jerusalem. Rest of Israel is around 1,500 feet in altitude, and Jerusalem was at 2,500 feet. So they made their trek, it seemed like, from any direction. They were going to be going uphill toward Jerusalem. And as they would make their pilgrimage there, they were singing songs and they were going to Jerusalem because they were going to offer their sacrifices unto the Lord in fulfillment of the Torah commandments. As they would go to Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29, you see these specific commandments, instructions that they were to go and offer their sacrifice. And they knew that if they did this, it would go well with them. They just absolutely believed and took the word of God at face value and held to the promises of God that if they went and were inconvenienced out of their schedule to go and provide a sacrifice, a blessing back to God, it would go well with them. Their harvest would go well, their family life, their nation, everything. And that's exactly what the promises of Psalm 128 spell out. So it wasn't that it was just a, a feeling, an intuition, you know, a good luck charm. No, it was God in his favor will be upon me and my family if I honor him Above all else. So over the last couple of weeks, we talked about the first principle, which was fear the Lord. And we see that in Ecclesiastes all the way through all 12 chapters. It is summarized there to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And then secondly, we learned that our work would be blessed, that all of our labor would suddenly become like a mission field. Our entire purview, the way we evaluate life and how we serve, even in our workplace, it becomes a completely different paradigm. God put me there for a reason. If I'm a painter, I'm going to be the best painter unto the glory of God and bless the labor around me of all the coworkers and customers and bosses. And everybody's going to see a changed individual who is laboring unto the Lord because it's his mission to bless everything around him for the glory of God. His attitude will be different or her attitude. The, the way they speak, the way they think, the way they carry themselves will be authentic and new. There is a transformed mind at work, and therefore it's evidenced now of something in the heart that has been changed. So their labors are blessed, not just with a increase in productivity, 
is if a, a farmer who's tilling to the soil and planting seed and there would be a wonderful harvest, they had that kind of expectation. If there were, you know, in, in livestock of some sort, there would be a, a wonderful return. And we know that as they would keep the counts of God and the Shemitah cycles and the years of Jubilees, that God promises, if you do this, it will go well with you. And in fact, at the year of Jubilee, as after they'd counted 49, the Lord promised that he would give them three years of return, because that meant that they were going to have to let the soil rest for two full years. And God says, if you honor me in this, I'm going to give you three years worth, because it's going to take another year for you to plant and for that soil to be ready for a new harvest. So it would take at least three years. In that act of obedience. So again, God was always looking out for them, but it became a demonstration of their allegiance, a demonstration of their faith. Will you do this? And if you do, God will bless you. Do you believe it? And so the third one that we see here in Psalm 128 verses three to four is that our family will be blessed. Now, this one, it was such an awesome couple of verses here that it was used as what was called the marriage prayer. It was sung at Jewish weddings. So verse three explains, it's a blessing of fearing God that your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Now imagine men singing this. They're going up to Jerusalem. They've got their sacrifices ready and they're going up to, to receive the blessing of God. And in this, they're singing that their wives would become a fruitful vine and immediately I had to do some research on this to figure out, okay, they're seeing a vineyard. Something amazing here, but there's so many details that have to be unpacked from that, is that firstly, we understand the character of a vineyard, of a vine. Vines were designed to cling. God gave it that. He, he wired it just for that, that it clings. So you put a lattice work of some sort or some structure together in which the vine would go upward. It would cling to this contraption and grow upward. So a vine clings. God designed it that way that a wife almost wraps her branches around her husband, who then offers stability, security, and love. What a responsibility that a man now who is rightly honoring God will in turn bless his wife, that she will feel safe. There's security. There's love. There's providing that vine with all the nourishment that it needs, the right soil, the right amount of sun exposure, the i.e. if we could say let's take it from the S-U-N to the S-O-N, <laughs> right. right? That everything is caring for a vineyard that the man would be laboring, not just in the workplace, but now at home, that his wife would feel the satisfaction, the joy of a husband who understands now he's the priest and provider of his home. And this means foot washer more so than a dictatorial or dictator type of a leadership. Uh, that's not one who comes home and sits on the couch and just commands everybody around them to make their life easier, but rather servant leadership. Secondly, as I mentioned, a vine climbs, a vine goes upward. So a healthy vine will spread out and fills up the entirety of what has been built. This lattice work, uh, whatever that structure is to hold up the vine, it could be an entire wall even. And the vine will not only cling, but grow upward and fill it up. The atmosphere then is changed. So she grows, she's healthier, she's stronger. So, you know, sometimes we can, I don't know about you, Dr. Ford, but my wife can be the greatest barometer in my home that if, you know, the old saying, if mama's not happy, then nobody's happy, right? 
But really, that's a reflection of the leader in the home. If God is positioned, and we know he has biblically men to be the priest and provider in the home, my wife can be the greatest reflection of what's the pulse in the home, the aroma of my living room. If she's dissatisfied, if there's discontentment, if if, if there's agitation and tension in the home, it probably starts with me. Because what happens is we start to see life horizontally instead of vertically. And I've used this illustration before that we're like spinning plates like the clown at the circus. We don't want any of the plates to come crashing down. So we just spin them profusely. And as we say, okay, I've got work over here. This is one plate on the stick. And here's another plate on the stick. And that's my wife. And over here's my children and, and all of my responsibilities. And I keep spinning those plates to make sure none of them come crashing down. That's not the vertical alignment that we're supposed to have, as we see in Psalm 128, that number one is God who infuses into everything. It's all about him. And then my labor is blessed and the cascading effect, the ripple effect forward then is an outward is now my wife in my home. And so if I have a right relationship with the Lord, meaning he's consuming my every waking moment, even when I sleep, I'm thinking of the things of God that I'm, I'm quick to go to his word. I'm quick to be a man of prayer. I delight in being with the Lord as Daniel did, wanting to pray three times a day, wanting more of the Lord to fill every aspect of my life. Then it will be reflected in how my conversation goes with my wife. She will hear from me differently. My communication with her will be different. My, my tenderness will be there. My gentleness I'll be a nurturer and a provider. I'm not going to shake the vine and be, be quick to prune it constantly and, 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 you know, be detrimental to its growth. Rather, I'm going to seek that the vine grows in a healthy environment and it will reflect then the nourishment that it's getting, right? So, again, this is not to take away from the wife's responsibility in this. We're just focusing in on, on men here right now, that if a man who honors the Lord is speaking the things of God into his home and, and tending to the aroma of his own living room, it, the wife will usually reciprocate from that. Uh, she'll feel heard. She'll feel valued, feel nourished and provided, cared for, loved, and not just a superficial kind of love, but an agape kind of love. And all the voids that God has designed in her purposely so that she clings to her husband will now be satisfied, will be filled up. It's quite a responsibility, a daunting one. And then thirdly, the healthy vines produce. That's what we'd expect a healthy vine to do. They didn't just go through all this work to have a vine that clings and grows upward, but it produces something and it becomes like the new wine in your home. And so he's a man who's now drinking from his own vineyard. And it's interesting because vineyards will produce a, a different kind of flavor based on the nourishment it receives. The type of soil that it actually feeds the vine is unique to that area. That's why those who are specialists in wine will tell you that different types of groves in Napa Valley, wherever it might be, they can speak to where even that wine was produced based on how it tasted and it will reflect of where it was produced, right? right? Because of the nourishment in the soil and the type of environment it was in. Well, think about that from our wives. The type of, of, of treatment she receives in our home, she will produce accordingly. 
And again, this is not to take her off the hook because women are their own character and identity before the Lord as well. But we as men have this responsibility that when we forego the things of God, it will immediately be reflected in the home. There will be more tension. There will be more chaos. Conversation will not be edifying. There will be friction often that is reflected in the home, and it starts with the right alignment with us before the Lord. So if our wife is now clinging, she will produce. And in this, it can be intoxicating, right? A new love that fills the environment of the home. Again, this is not to speak of drunkenness, all right? Don't don't be misled here. This is creating the right atmosphere. Now, think about this, Dr. Ford. It can take three to four years to receive the maturity of a healthy vine. If we start putting these things to practice right now, our initial response will be, I want immediate return on my investment. Right. There's no patience in us at all. We are in a society where everything is quick fix right now. Okay, so if I get on my knees and start praising God right now, immediately my wife is going to reciprocate, respond, and everything's going to be right in my home. A vineyard doesn't grow that way. In this case, it takes three to four years to produce what you seek. You have to start putting these things to practice without even seeing the immediate response. And you know the enemy is going to be right there. He is going to try to do everything he can to squelch the progress that's being made in your home. You start washing the dishes. You start doing all these sorts of acts of service, whatever it might be, whatever the love language is of that home. You start putting those things to to practice as God has directed us to do. And immediately we will find the enemy will be working overtime to rob you of the fruit of your labors. And you will not see that produce come yet and think it's all for naught. This is for somebody else. It's really all her fault. It's not my own. And then we're worried about, you know, the what we see as a speck in their eye rather than the plank in our own eye. Yeah, I've so lived that already. <laughs> you don't have to go down that road very long or necessarily be married very long or try to put this into play very long without that happening and realizing that that Satan is the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our marriages. Um, Tim and Kathy Keller wrote a great book that you had mentioned earlier about serving each other. Of course, we know that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So the whole idea then within the confines of marriage, especially if we're both Christians, is that we're trying to outserve each other. <laughs> so if you have two people trying to outserve each other, how can that marriage do anything but blossom and succeed? That's right. You know, it virtually it virtually has to. It's almost predestined to because you're doing things according to the way that God created the universe, the God's, you know, eternal natural laws. So you're basically working according to those and, and it has to succeed. That's right. And of course, when there's a moment of friction, sometimes that can be a good pulse check to say, have I started to get complacent again? That have I become lackadaisical in my devotional time with my spouse right. and That's praying for them? It's really hard to be mad at somebody who you're praying for. Yeah. And when you take these matters to prayer, then you start to get a softening of the heart. And I've seen this statistically, you know, when I was working on uh, one of my dissertations, we, we worked with the University of Florida, University of Georgia, and found out that even if there was not a supernatural response to our prayers, i.e. God hearing and actually acting and, and responding to our prayers, just the act of prayer, we were able, able to measurably see that it affected those who were praying. So couples that prayed together did stay together. Yeah. So if, again, if we apply the basics, we will see a return on that investment. 
but it could take some years to do that. Don't give up. It's always too soon to quit. Yeah, I think another great principle is remember Jesus's little ones statements, those who are his followers, those who are disciples of Jesus Christ and and the blessings for those who bless them. When we bless those little ones, his followers, then people are blessed. But when they do something against those followers, his little ones, you're actually doing something against Jesus. Well, if we're both believers in this marriage, my spouse is one of those little ones. So when I'm blessing my spouse, I'm blessing Jesus. If I'm doing something to adversely affect my wife, it's impacting Jesus in that way. Amen. Amen. And, and it's really, again, I don't think we can overstate the fact that we're just applying the basics. Right. You know, we just studied again from First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, just this past week, we've been in First Thessalonians and wrapping up this incredible study of this book. And in chapter 5, there's a whole section of words to live by. Very simply, do this in it. I mean, one after another, I mean, abstain from evil, pray without ceasing. I mean, very simple one sentence directives. And as I've mentioned, there's over 1,236 directives in the New Testament based on 241 instructions. If we do these things, there, of course, is going to be an awesome response to that because we're now infusing the instruction of light into a world of darkness. So our natural response is always going to be to retract, retreat, be selfish, right. think out only for number one, yeah. and everybody else is kind of along for the ride, and they're a means to an end. And we can even treat our loved ones like that, even our own children. You know, what's their value? Right. And we start to equate their value based on their worth by way of productivity or things of that nature, which is a completely human default from the sin nature, rather than saying they are formed in the image of God. How can I nurture and help them grow and disciple them with love and gentleness, but firmness and truth, not compromising truth and help them to grow. And that's where the next piece of this really comes in is the fact that he takes us then from our relationship with our wives to now our relationship with our children. So out of Psalm 128, if you're just joining us, that's where we're at. Psalm 128 in verse three here, he says, your children will be like olive plants around your table. Now, I want people to understand here, when we're talking about olive plants, people at that time, especially in an agrarian culture, they understood that someone who owned olive plants was going to be very wealthy. They were leaving an inheritance to their children's children's children because it would take 30 to 40 years for those olive plants to grow to become a producer of a of a, a harvest, right? That you would have olives that would actually come out of that harvest, olive oil and the various olive products and so forth, that could then impact up to 30 generations as a result. Wow. So we see Proverbs 22, 6, that we're to raise up a child in which they are to go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it and yet we see sometimes the prodigals and we find that our children sometimes are not walking in the ways of the lord but the reality here is that you're pushing and and teaching and guiding by way of truth so that truth cannot be taken out of their very dna you're putting it into their bone marrow and they're going to have to wrestle with that truth for the rest of their lives so you're not responsible ultimately for the choices they make you're only responsible to grow them to help them to know the truth to live out that truth and then ultimately they have to make their own decisions before the lord so the parent they have a responsibility to teach 
to instruct, to guide, as Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us, that we talk about these things as we walk along the road, as we lie down, as we get up. That's intentionality. Just as a farmer has intentionality with olive plants that ultimately become an olive tree, we are looking at a harvest that might even come generations beyond us. That Psalm 78 tells us that we're impacting generations not yet even born that they bring glory to God, right? So we have this responsibility. He says, around your table, I love this because Harvard verified this, that of all the study they did on what separated the honor roll student from the average student, the number one thing they finally came to was that an honor roll student ate with their parents at least three to four times a week. That was the delineating (laughs) factor of all of their research. All they did was verify what scripture had already said almost 3000 years ago. All we have to do is be intentional, seize the moment, eat with our children, pray with them daily, disciple them. We often think about discipline, but how about discipling them so that they know the Lord and they see it modeled in our lives. We guard them from the various evils in the culture. Instead of just abdicating them to all the social media and everything else that's out there, we understand that we have a vital responsibility with this gift that's been given to us of our quiver being full with the children that God has provided to us. Then we understand This is a responsibility that is not for the faint of heart, but God will strengthen me to be the parent I ought to be. So we're not just spending time with our children, we're investing in our children. We have relationship, we use that relationship to bring glory to God. And that can be for grandparents, great-grandparents, it's not just for children of the immediate mother and father, but an entire responsibility of the community of believers in that home that we're investing in the children. And it will go well with us. Great grandchildren and so forth will all then receive that blessing as well. That's what Exodus 20 tells us, that up to a thousand generations could be blessed even just by keeping those instructions of our Lord. You look at the Ten Commandments that are given there. Could you imagine if we just got those 10 right, how it impact our entire society? We have over 330,000 laws in America. And it's because we try keep trying to legislate morality. Right. If we just start with the very basics and implement them in our homes, it would change everything. And, and that's really the next point that he wants us to see here is that it's not just something that uh, when you get the first principle right, the fearing the Lord, and the second principle that our work will be blessed, and then thirdly, our whole family will be blessed, then number four which I think all the patriots here are listening today would, would be just yelling, yes, amen, say this, <laughs> our whole nation would be blessed because verses five to six talk about that, that here he says that the Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. He then talks about praying and blessing Israel, and that is something that is perfectly applicable to us today. But in this is it was a blessing out of Zion. That was the place where God was. So it was an image of the earthly dwelling place of God. And go to Psalm 65, 1 on that as well. It's often been said that as the father goes, so goes the home. As the home goes, so goes the nation. So here they understood that just like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15 that the entirety of the family would be blessed, and as a result, the nation would be blessed. He says in verse 6, Yes, may you see your children's children peace be upon Israel. In six verses, it goes from newlyweds 
to grandparents. Oh, how time flies, right? But we're supposed to see the godly heritage in that, just like Psalm 78, 5 to 7 teaches us. Let me read that. That they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So here we see that just like Isaiah 58, 12 tells us, we would become the restorers of the streets, the repairers of the breach, that in our society, things could be restored, made new by implementing the prescriptions of God, that if we fear the Lord, he'll bless our work, he'll bless our family, and ultimately bless our nation. And so, Dr. Ford, I hope, like for you and I, this has been a blessing to go back to Psalm 128 to to receive these instructions. Now we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do these instructions. And so, again, you can learn more about Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church at calvaryfountain.com. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.